0: This episode of Special Sauce is brought to you by U.S. Bank. If you're anything like me, you're thinking about food all the time. One day I'm craving Texas barbecue, the next day it's cast iron skillet fried chicken. Wouldn't it be great to earn rewards on everything you crave, whether it's dishes from your favorite restaurant or food you make at home? Or takeout. I do love takeout, whether it's great pizza from Mama's 2 or roast pork egg foo young sauce on the side, please, from La Dinestia, or just some spicy tuna rolls from Sushi Yasaka. Well, now you can with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. With this credit card, you can earn four times points on dining, takeout, and restaurant delivery and two times points at grocery stores, grocery delivery, gas stations, EV charging stations, and streaming services. Plus, discover how you can earn 20,000 bonus points, a $200 value at slash altitude go when you apply. Live every day your way with the Altitude Go Card. Learn more at usbank.com slash altitude go. Limited time offer. The creditor and issue of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. Welcome to Special Sauce, Sirius Eats' podcast about food and life. Every week on Special Sauce, we talk with some of the leading lights of American culture, food folks, and non-food folks alike.
1: Through Connections ended up in the bakery at Danielle. And like from the first shift, I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like the hours pass like minutes and like, and I leave with fresh bread. Like this is where I'm (laughs) meant to be.
0: This week, it is my pleasure to welcome an extraordinary social activist, a woman who has made it possible for immigrant women to have well-paid careers baking traditional breads from around the world. She is the founder of Hot Bread Kitchen, which was hatched in her home kitchen, but is now a thriving commercial bakery. So a warm welcome to social entrepreneur, lover of lavash, naan and challah, and now cookbook author, Jessamine Waldman Rodriguez. Jessamine, you've come a long way from the time that I discovered you and your mom selling bread in Harlem on a hot yeah. summer's day a long time ago, right? I was, on, I was thinking I was on my bike.
1: That was the day I decided I had to move forth with it here in New York City because the fact that you found me on 145th Street just below Jackie Robinson Park, I think on my second day of ever selling bread, you were, if I'm not mistaken, looking for a barbecue restaurant. Yes. You found me up there, and that really, for me, made it concrete that this was the city that was ripe for hot bread kitchen.
0: That's awesome.
1: It was amazing. Yeah. You were. You, yeah. Did, how was the barbecue
0: the barbecue was f- not as good as your bread
1: yeah <laughs> i don't yeah and the tortillas yeah I, you you wrote it up in that that blog post i got a lot of mileage uh, on and good. i think i think serious eats at that point was nearly as young as hot bread kitchen absolutely
0: absolutely that was what i was doing all the writing
1: yeah for. so cheers to us the, how far <laughs> we've come exactly <laughs> so tell us about
0: life at the waldman family table
1: I grew up in Toronto, and my my father was a, a Jew, was a Jew from Toronto. My mom is an American white bred American, and. Everything we kind of in our house always revolved around food. Um, you know, all kinds of different food, interesting food. My mother cooked, my father cooked. The, the You know, we pulled on the traditions very much of, you know, my Ashkenazi um, grandparents. Uh, yeah, you to, talk to about baking challah
0: with your with your mom. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We, we we baked a lot of challah. When I was younger, we lived on a farm for a couple of years, um, which made it really hard to get challah. For Friday night, so my mom used to bake for like two or three precious, wonderful years. My mother baked challah every Friday, and I, you know, she she claims that Hot Bread Kitchen exists because she spent that time <laughs> baking with me when I was young. That's my what moms do, years. yeah. But beyond that, you know, I think it was just about quality. My, you know, one of the things we look for at Hot Bread Kitchen when we're choosing bakers is people um, who who know how to bake or love food and care about the. Quality quality of food. And I would say that my parents, you know, even if dinner got on the table at 7.30 or 8, which was really late at the time, they really cared about flavor and taste and appearance. And our, our food wasn't fancy, but it was always delicious. And so I think that that really instilled in me a love of what food could be. Um, we always ate together as a family, and the holidays were always a time for celebration. Lots of food, wine, booze.
0: And your grandfather had a bakery.
1: So my great grandfather. Oh, your
0: great grandfather.
1: Yes, was was um, an an immigrant from Russia, and he had a bakery in his basement in in Toronto. Wow. Where he made a lot of different Jewish breads. By the time I was born, the bakery had already closed, but he still baked every Friday. Um, he baked a challah, which, like. I shouldn't say this, but he was really not that good because he was not used to baking in a home oven and he was getting a little senile. So I
0: appreciate your candor.
1: But my grandmother, when I told her I was taking my Columbia degree and going into the baking industry, it it, it nearly killed her. And it took a few years and lots of illustrious. Right, because she was supposed to be a lawyer, <laughs> exactly, uh, doctor. Exactly, exactly. She didn't spend this many years getting out of the bakery to, to for me to then go back into the baking industry. But then she was she – was proud by the, you know, eventually.
0: Were your parents um, social activists?
1: They were. They were. They definitely were. They were actually both teachers, but um, they were very active in the civil rights movement in the 60s and and instilled in a a subtle way, not in a heavy-handed way, the importance of social justice and equality. I mean, we're also Canadians, which... I think, is not a minor part of the story. I think Canadians value the contributions of immigrant cultures. It's a country where kind of multiculturalism and equity is extremely important.
0: Yes, and sort of understated, and I think most Americans don't understand what a polyglot Toronto is, for example. Like-
1: completely, completely. Yeah. And it's not something that um, is isn't even necess- – you don't even need to talk about it. It's just kind of the air that you breathe when you grow up in Toronto. It's like the public schools are truly, truly multicultural, not in a way that I find in New York where you're like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of diversity in the school, which means a very different thing here than kind of the mm-hmm. natural state of being that, we, that you see in Toronto and yeah. the food in Toronto is just, you know, completely underrated. Um, and, you know, we've been – Torontonians travel for interesting ethnic food around the city for – have for forever.
0: Yeah, and I and I have uh, gone to Toronto actually every year, you know, for the last couple of years for the Toronto Film Festival because my wife's a literary agent uh, and she's had books made into movies that premiere at the Toronto Film Festival. So I, I've i gotten to eat my way around Toronto. It's so, a
1: great eating city, Yeah, it's right? a really fun
0: eating city. Have
1: you been to Bar Isabel? Uh no. It's oh great. God, yeah. No. All right. Well, hopefully there'll be another movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs>
0: um although your parents were serious about food, they were teachers. Mm-hmm. Did you ever imagine that food was going to play a role in your professional
1: life? No. It wasn't until I had the idea for Hot Bread Kitchen, and I was pretty early in my career when I had the idea, that it even dawned on me that I would consider professionalizing my passion for food. I didn't, I never, you know, the word foodie didn't exist when I was in, you know, in, until I was already well underway in developing Hot Bread Kitchen in a way. It's a relatively new phenomenon. And so when I was thinking about a career in social activism or supporting immigrant rights, like, it was so separate from food. But somehow when I had this kind of aha moment around Hot Bread Kitchen, it resonated so deeply in my soul that I kept it on the back burner for a decade. In, while doing while, lots of other. Yeah. well kind of building a career in more traditional. Social, um, social activism. But in in like not really motivated by the work that I was doing. Yeah. That's and, interesting. And, you know, I, I think I, I, I incorporated Hot Bread Kitchen in 2000. And that's when they kind of was at the vanguard of all of the Brooklyn maker work right. that was happening, and kind of hit a perfect moment in the zeitgeist to launch Hot Bread Kitchen. Um and you know loved it loved being in the kitchen even though I'd never worked back of house before right. but got an apprenticeship at Danielle and like loved being in the bakery loved being in the kitchen it just it hit this kind of sweet spot right. for right so that's
0: when it dawned on you when you were marking, working for Mark Fiorentino who is still the or is he
1: no he's at Zaro's now
0: oh he is yeah, okay he's sort
1: of a freelancer
0: got it but um it is interesting that you decided that to do this project, which is an amazing project, which benefits so many people besides the serious eaters that it feeds so well, that you decided you needed to learn something about the craft of baking yourself.
1: Yeah, there's someone, a really smart woman somewhere along the way, she said to me, you know, this is an interesting idea but, like, you're not an immigrant and you're not a baker, so, like, why would you how, why you or how could you do this? And I was like, ding! That's true. How am I going to do this if I'm not a baker? And then, you know, it was, like, sort of sick of hearing myself talk about it but knew I wasn't ready to do it. So I, through Connections, ended up at, at in the bakery at Danielle. And, like, from the first Shift. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like the hours pass, like minutes, and like, and I leave with fresh bread. Like this is where I'm <laughs> meant to be. Um, and I was the head baker, I say with air quotes you can't see on the radio. I was the head baker and the driver and the dishwasher and the grant writer for about a year and a half or two years before we had enough revenue to hire someone who could do the baking.
0: I'm familiar with that. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's like oh, that's what the 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 uh, the the not so secret uh, aspect of all startups yeah. is that you wear 15 hats at the same time just because you can't afford to pay anyone else to do them
1: and it makes for a better company. Yeah. You know, I I we now run another program at Hot Bread Kitchen as a culinary incubator. And we have sixty-five businesses that work in the space at Hot Bread Kitchen um that rent table space and we provide technical assistance to those businesses. And when I see people that come in that are the owner and aren't actually doing the production before they're kind of making any money, I'm completely skeptical. I mean, I don't know how you build a business without understanding all of the nuts and bolts of doing it. That's Um,
0: that's interesting. I'm happy
1: we did it. But like, I live in fear that anything happens to our head baker because the complexity of our production has way outstripped my ability to manage it anymore. Because you do
0: so many kinds of breads. And I also remember sort of over the years, you know, when you and I would talk and I'd say, well, I don't know about the baguette. And then you'd say, I know we're working on it. You know, it was like it was constantly a work in progress, yeah. right? Is it not? Because you're baking so many different kinds of breads from all over the world. Yeah. From baguettes to focaccia to granola to, you know. m
1: to vialis. Yeah. 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 You know, it's... It... It's, it's never good enough. And when it's good enough, you know, like I, bread and all kinds of art can always be better. And that's the, the challenge of what we do. And the model is we bake breads from around the world that are inspired by the countries that women come from. And we definitely drop skews, but we're responsive to chefs. And so we're constantly developing new things. I think in the end, you know, we as we grow, we will probably continue to reduce and focus and hone the products that we do make. You know, our best-selling breads are the kind of unique ethnic breads that we make. But when you start, you can't say no to revenue. So we're like, great. You want a multigrain? We do multigrains. Yeah, and, yeah, that's funny. And, and some of them are amazing, amazing products.
0: You've just gotten your MBA covered in flour, you know, <laughs> essentially, as far as I can tell. <laughs>
1: It all somehow fits together, right? Like everything you do, If you it, you would never plan to do take the route that I took to get to where I got. But I would never got to where I've gotten. And, you know, we run this interesting hybrid organization. So I raise money and I raise investment capital and we sell bread and I –
0: You never describe yourself this way. But you're kind of a dynamo. <laughs> yeah.
1: You are because you do – Right back at you. You do
0: both those things. Who was the catalyst for Hot Bread Kitchen? Was there – there? you talk about this one woman in the book. Did you set out to find an immigrant woman to start the business with or around? Or did you – So or- do you
1: know the story of how I came up with the idea? No? Do you want to hear it? Yeah. That's
0: what we're here for.
1: So I uh, – when I was – Early out of my undergraduate degree, I came to New York and interviewed for a job at women's world Banking and women's World Banking is a microfinance institution They make loans to small on small scale entrepreneurs and I didn't get the job, but I was telling someone about it, and he heard women's World Banking instead of banking. <laughs> And Women's World Baking, to me, was incredibly evocative. This idea of, like, an immigrant women's baking collective came from that kind of slip-of-the-tongue chain of events. And I wrote it down, and I was 22. I wrote it down, I thought about it, and it just sat in the back of my head for probably 15, well, a decade, before I learned how to bake and launched Hot Bread Kitchen. And then when I first started, you know, I... I You you saw me hawking bread there on 145th Street. I didn't know if it was going to be a nonprofit. I knew at its core it would be about helping women with bread baking skills get better careers. But I didn't know what that would kind of look like or the trajectory that it would take. Yeah. Initially, we just started selling bread and then quickly realized that if I wanted to have the impact on low-income women that we needed, we would have to incorporate it as a nonprofit organization.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you have trouble finding women from? different cultures? Like, how did you, so do, how the, do you recruit?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, now recruitment, I got staff dedicated to it. And that's like, I'll, I'll tell you after what we do now. But initially, there was a woman who you might have met in the early na- early days, and her name was Elidia. And I knew, I had spent a lot of time working for the United Nations in Central America. And I knew that the first product I wanted to bring to market was a real tortilla. And so at the time, I was working at a nonprofit organization in a school. And through that connection, I found a woman from Mexico who really made killer tortillas and she was my first hire at Hot Bread Kitchen, Lydia Ramos. And, and, and then it started from her and then I hired her daughter and then I hired her sister. And then, you know, and the first kind of cohort of people that worked at Hot Bread Kitchen were really come came from that kind of person. And now it's a much bigger operation because we take women in every month and bring them into the training program. And every month we graduate women out into bakeries around the city. And um, now we work with a lot of social service agencies that are serving low-income women. And the truth of the matter is, is now we serve all sorts of low-income women, not just immigrant women. So a lot of women, 30% of the women that we train are born here in the United States. And um, we get referrals every month. We do A big kind of open interview every the third Wednesday of every month, and we interview. You know, I think this week this this we had one yesterday. I think we had like thirty women who came in and interviewed for for positions. Wow! And so it's a much bigger network, and we really are always pushing in this idea of diversity. So we want to have as we want to look like New York City, have women from all over the world baking together.
0: So. You started just yourself and now there are – did you say in the book there's 61? There's probably more now, right, yeah. since you wrote the book. but
1: We have about 65, 68 staff members. That's
0: insane. So Depends
1: on the day. <laughs> what's the
0: hardest thing about balancing the social activism mm-hmm. of Hot Bread Kitchen with the hardcore commerce aspects of it?
1: That's like the that's the, that is the hardest thing we do. That that is the like the crux of the challenge of running hot bread kitchen. Right? We um, the way we look is about sixty five percent of the money that we spend comes from bread sales, and the rest comes from philanthropic support. And so we're trying to always measure whether every decision is either saving us money or. P- pushing our social mission, right? So profitability is important because it creates more job training opportunities, but we're not profit motivated because our ultimate goal is to get more women into good, sustainable jobs. And so every decision we make, like, listen, do we want to buy a new baguette molder? Well, if we buy a new baguette molder, our breads could be more profitable. But we're lear- losing a great training opportunity because making baguettes by hand is an it in- a really marketable skill, right? We can place you at ten French bakeries I can think of in a second that would be you know kill for a woman that can can shape great baguettes. And so there's always this kind of push pull. That's
0: fascinating. So you're you're constantly being tugged between the future and the past.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Traditions and where. The business of baking is going.
1: Yeah. I mean you'll probably remember when you found us on 145th Street, we – our tortillas were pressed by hand and they were wrapped in paper. Yes. And I remember it, you bought a packet yes. and and, and they, were, they were pressed by hand. And that I think was a tremendously wonderful product. If you knew how to like treat it properly, those tortillas were to die for. Um, and then, you know, about f- four years ago, we had to invest in a tortilla line. And now we do 250 dozen tortillas an hour. We do them from nixtamal. We soak the corn, we grind it. Right. Um, so
0: explain what nixtamal is.
1: Yeah. So so most corn tortillas you buy now are made from a corn flour called harina, which has a lot of preservatives in it. And it's done in a way that um, doesn't preserve the nutrients of the corn. It's processed in a way that doesn't preserve the nutrients of the corn. And so we are one of the few places in New York City that still nixtamal them all corn. So we source local and or organic corn. We do blue, white, and yellow. And our yellow corn is made from Finger Lakes corn. So it's a New York State corn. Um, and we soak it with lime for eight hours in hot water. And then we grind it by hand and nothing is added to our tortillas. Wow. So it's 100% Whole grain corn that goes into tortillas. So, the only thing
0: that you don't do that you did before is actually hand form them.
1: And hand grind them. Did you ever see our bike? Yes. We used to have a bike that ground corn. That was pretty
0: bizarre that you had a bike that ground corn. Oh,
1: the story of that bike is amazing. That's a whole other show. That's okay. Tell the brief story story of the bike. So, um, Lydia, who I mentioned, uh, had a hand grinder that she used to make from tortillas, and we used to do four pounds, five pounds on the hand grinder, and that worked really efficiently. And then at a certain point, it was getting to be 10 or 15 pounds a night. And that felt like a lot to be grinding by hand. And so I had this idea that it would be really cool if we had a corn grinding bicycle. And so I mentioned that to this kid um, that I knew from another life. And his father was an architect. And he told his father, who was uh, in Berkeley, California, about the idea of a corn grinding bicycle, and his father built it.
0: Only in Berkeley, California would that happen. Would you
1: find an architect (laughs) that would do that? He built it disassembled it put it in a box shipped it to my house in Brooklyn and we assembled the Jessa Molino um, and that was the corn grinding bicycle that we <laughs> used awesome. for about a year and a half and then you outgrew it and then we outgrew it and I was like this husband my, my future husband I was like he'll never want to marry me if I keep making him come out to Queens to grind corn <laughs> and so I got another corn grinder which is a whole other story but I'll tell that another time that's <laughs> (laughs) That's
0: funny. So um, you are now a mom, right? You have two kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have what could only be described as a very full life. And you, (laughs) you try to impart some wisdom about how to achieve balance or accepting the fact that achieving that balance is a daily proposition.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I've learned it from the best because we we have a lot of single moms who show up at the bakery at four in the morning and do their shift and then go home and maybe go to another job. So I I have very – while it's hard, I have two little kids, uh, right now a two-and-a-half-year-old and a five-year-old, and, a five year old, and uh, you know, but I have a fully – active 100% husband who helps me out with it, and so I never feel justified in even acknowledging how difficult it is because I know that many, many, many women in this city do a lot more with even with even less. But there's no easy answer other than letting go of the perfection of it. I mean, yes. you don't take on an operation like Hot Bread Kitchen unless you are like an absolute insane perfectionist-driven person, and so I've had <laughs> to in a way— let go of some of that and realize, like, okay, I can't do everything at Hot Bread and I can't do everything at home, right? So, you know, some sometimes... My kids go to school with naughty hair or, you know, sometimes I buy them bagels for their lunch on the way to school. And, like, you know, it's just like these little details that as a mother I And they
0: might even be bad bagels.
1: They're probably bad bagels. This is New York. You can't get a good bagel anywhere (laughs) in New York. I'm from Toronto, so don't get me started on this topic. (laughs) But, yeah, like sometimes like those sort of details, the things that I would have thought I, you know, would have, you know, tonight we're going to probably go to a diner and have dinner because I don't have anything cooking. It's not that it's – not painful and disappointing at right. times, but you. But you, it but you just have to let it, let it go, and and look in an aggregate.
0: And it doesn't make you a failure.
1: And it doesn't make you a failure, and ex- that's exactly it. And your kids are still healthy and happy. I I am, um, recently. Uh, I, A friend of mine, an old, 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 old friend from Toronto um, reached out, and she's orthodox. She lives in Washington Heights, and she has five kids, and two of them are special needs. Wow. And her husband works full-time, and I was, like, obsessed with her parenting reality. And I I was like, how do you do bedtime with five kids? And she was like, I just keep telling myself that – the goal is fun. <laughs> She's like, the goal doesn't have to be that they're all perfectly clean after bath time. The goal doesn't have to be that they're all in bed by eight. She's like, the goal of anything. And I was like, coming from her, like, I was like, that is like brilliant. Feedback. Right. and it,
0: For her, it could be elusive on any given day.
1: Oh, my God. more It's elusive for all of us. But like, it's hard to imagine how, how you could keep that. So the goal is not to make sure that they have perfectly nutritious stuff on their played every night. But if, if as a parent you can stay happy and it and at work, if I can present a positive person at work, a supportive manager and a positive outward persona at work every day, then I'm probably being value additive got there it. as well.
0: I got to pick up the gauntlet because you <laughs> laid it down with the Toronto <laughs> bagel thing. Uh, I mean – What's your take? I know everyone talks about Montreal bagels and Saint-Viateur. Clearly from the way you're shaking your head <laughs> and waving your hands that you don't really want to hear about Montreal bagels.
1: We hear it's oh, I hear way too much about the Montreal bagel. I'm like Montreal bagels when I'm in Montreal. I love our friends, my Canadian compatriots in New York that are doing Montreal-style bagels. Those are wood-fired. Wood-fired.
0: Uh, sweetened with- um,
1: Lots of malt and not a lot of salt. Exactly. Um, and they're a little little bit bigger whole. Listen, my my beef with the New York bagel is that they're- Way too big. I
0: agree. I
1: totally. And so, a Toronto bagel is still what I can ascertain that New York bagels used to be. So it's more like a New York bagel. It's more like the bagels you get at Bagel Hole in Park, in Park Slope, Slope than it or is Sydell's
0: like Sadels now, which is made or yeah. now even Russ and Daughters make their own bagels.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, they are making their own bagels. It's more of that style. But it's not just a smallness,
0: though, right? It's
1: small. It's nice and tight. It's crispy. It has enough salt on it. It doesn't have any blueberries or chocolate in it.
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) I agree. What's up with that? Why did this should be a rule? You know, if the Bagel Bakers Union was still (laughs) active, they would never have permitted. Blueberries or chocolate chips and bagels. I that just hope. should never happen. I,
1: I don't know Ed, if the bagel union was concerned about quality, <laughs> but I like what you're talking It makes me think that there needs to be some kind of alternative bargaining unit to maintain those kinds of specifics. So they were chewy.
0: Toronto bagels have a chewy exterior, oh, crunchy. Su-
1: super crusty exterior,
0: but a nice, nice whole structure nice, inside.
1: Yeah, tight. Tight, yeah, tight, like you know, nice, nice, tight on the inside, not super airy or anything right. like that. But it's really the and you know and not a not a huge hole like the um, Montreal bagel, like still like wide enough so that you can get some luxe on there without it falling in the middle. But a, you know a hole in the middle and poppy seed, sesame seed, and salt and like maybe everything, think, but not right. a huge array of kinds of. Different I couldn't flavors. agree more.
0: So where do you go in Toronto?
1: So I go to Bagel World.
0: Bagel World. I've heard about Bagel World from Gail Simmons.
1: Yes, exactly. Another Toronto. Another great Toronto. Who's on my board? Gail's on my board and and a good friend. Another Danielle alum.
0: Another secret sauce alum too.
1: Oh, cool. That makes sense. Of course, who doesn't love Gail? Um, So yeah, Bagel World is a great one. Um, Greif's, which is a little bit of a different style of bagel. Um, My parents live really near Bagel Plus, which is like – bagel solid. world style. <laughs> yeah, solid.
0: Got it. All um, right. Well, so, so and
1: then, and you know like there's no bagel renaissance in Toronto right now because they see like old places are still making good bagels and and it's not they're not I don't think quite as ubiquitous like the bad bagels. There's no kind of that phenomenon. The bad bagel phenomenon doesn't exist. So
0: why, you know, you're you're the founder <laughs> of Hot Bread Kitchen. You have this great love for Toronto bagels? <laughs> why isn't that on the on the agenda is it are bagels are real i know they're hard they're boiled and baked and it's there's so much competition in new york there's there's tons of reasons but i would just if you're yeah. so passionate you know it's like it would seem like cuz and we could switch gears cuz i i just have to talk about your life-changing bialy you know yeah. which, which is mind-blowing When bialis were becoming an afterthought, when people in New York were making uh, bialis with bagel dough, uh, which was happening way too often, I tried your biali, if you probably remember, and I was just like, this is the best bialy in New York. And, thank, and, you. And, and, thank you. Thank you. I still
1: talk about that that award, that accolade. Like <laughs> I have it tattooed on my back.
0: <laughs> but it's true. I mean, yeah. And was that a, a function of meeting a baker who could, or or did you seek that out? It's like we got to make bialys.
1: We developed it. So w- the the why not bagels is that initially a it's a quagmire and. I didn't want to go there and I've already spent too many years defending the Toronto bagel to New Yorkers <laughs> that were expecting like an inflated fluffy cloud of a nasty bagel.
0: Elephantiasis and, like, bagels exactly. I call
1: Exactly. And I like didn't didn't want to go there and then it's capital intensive and expensive and the nice thing about it be always, You can make it out of a bread oven. But what we do is we preserve dying baking traditions, right? The goal of Hot Bread Kitchen is to really highlight different – breads that otherwise you can Moroccan, c- you
0: Ethiopian, it yeah, could be anywhere. Yeah, next to lot lot tortillas.
1: Like, we're really trying to preserve dying baking Mexican arts.
0: Mexican breads.
1: And the bialy. I mean, before I moved to New York, I didn't know what a bialy was, but I was fascinated by this, like, nasty white dough ball that I was getting at every bodega. You know, Dominicans were serving me this, like, lightly toasted no onions doll- ball of dough, and I was like, what is this? So then I started to dig, and when I started Hot Bread Kitchen, I was like, this feels like the quintessential New York baking tradition that I need to work hard to preserve.
0: That's fascinating. And at and that point,
1: nobody was doing an artisanal bialy. Now I'm seeing a few more popping up, but nobody was doing it. And I was like, dough and, and onions, like yum. What's to – like what's not to love? So
0: what was the ideal that you were um, you were trying to hit? Was it just – did it just exist in your imagination
1: Mimi's book, Mimi Sheridan's book, the Biali eaters is right. the, the best piece of the food literature.
0: The definitive Biali tome for sure.
1: Yeah, the exactly. Um, and and there's a lot of description of there in there, but I think her I think the point, the takeaway of that book is that nobody really knows. And so, you know, we get y- of people are like, you, I'm a committed hot bread kitchen Bialy person. I come to the farmer's market at 77th Street. I buy them every Sunday by the 12-pack. There's no other Bialy that I would touch. That would be me. And then the other 10% of New York just throws us crap about how this isn't a Bialy. A Bialy is the white little thing with a few sprinkled dried onions on it. Like people have very strong opinions about what it could be. Well, we all came to accept
0: Kosar's when it was falling on hard times. It's now been uh, reborn and probably making a better Bialy. But there was no competition. There were a couple of of Bialy bakers in Brooklyn – yeah. Bell and uh, one more, yeah. Uh, but that was it. You're right.
1: Yeah, and so and so, what when you say like what were, what was the like aspiration when we developed the recipe for the bialy? But like, there isn't because it had sort of been lost. And so we read her book. We thought about what we would want to eat, and you just we, tested, and we tested and we played with recipes. You know, we use a lot of natural starters at Hot Bread Kitchen, so our bialy has natural starter and it has pre-ferment in it, which which helps. With shelf stability, which by all accounts they would have done in Poland, and they were doing on the lower east side because commercial yeast was harder to get, and so we just kind of played with the recipe, which is what happens with the msemen, and which was what happens with the tortillas, right? Like these recipes are living. Yeah. And there's how do you no pronounce that one? Msemen.
0: I because I always wonder. So talk about msemen, which is a Moroccan bread, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like – I, I describe it to people as a cross between – it's like a naan and a focaccia.
1: Whoa. That's an interesting way to describe it.
0: Because I love them. I get them all the time on Sundays
1: Best-selling too. bread. People love them. They eat it up. We get It gets called everything. It's very similar to a paratha.
0: Right, it is similar to a parata.
1: This week in the New York Times, there's a review of a dish at this at the Cecil in Harlem. It calls it a roti. <laughs> it it is the it is a multi-purposeful, yes. multi-ethnic bread. The Moroccan version um, is made with semolina, and so it's wheat flour, semolina, a little bit of oil. It gets spread out on the grill, folded up. Refolded. It's all done on the on the griddle, Um, and the recipe was brought to us by a baker named Bouchra, who is now actually um, a manager up at Zaro's Bakery. That's great. And she, you know, inspired the chain. What she did does at home to make them salmon bears not a ton of resemblance anymore to how we crank out thousands a day at hot right. bread kitchen, but it is still important to me that we are kind of bringing to light this sure. this this ethnic bread. And you can tell that oh this is New York City. We love immigrants here. That's everyone would believe that. But when you, you they see New Yorkers consuming the foods from the countries they come out. There's no greater pride. And no, that, it's to true. me, is the ultimate way to say, like, hey, we welcome you and we love how you eat. That, yeah. like, feels really good to people. Yeah, that's <laughs> great.
0: So, what advice? There are so many people, I think, now I've noticed that come to work at Serious Eats or have interned at Serious Eats in previous years, their emotions are wrapped up in progressive causes, and yet they love food. You've been able to successfully marry the two. Mm. So is there any advice you would give to somebody who wants to try to fulfill both sides of their emotional and vocational needs?
1: The best thing you could be is an upstanding employer. Growing a business, creating good jobs, paying people living wages, sharing ownership of your company, thinking of ways to create good jobs for people is ultimately creating impact. And so these hybrid models are – it's amazing. I, I i think there needs to be a lot more hot bread kitchen, and we're working on expanding it and growing it. But starting a food business is really tough.
0: Yeah, it is tough. I mean it's funny you said that because sometimes – because we just – we sold Serious seats last year and
1: ah, – I didn't know that. <laughs> uh,
0: But uh, when I think back about what we have achieved, that's mostly what I think of yeah. is that we've um, provided a launching pad for many, many people. And I know that no matter what happens, how long they stay, people tend to stay for a, a long time. But that they're sort of set up for life, yeah. which is the kind of the best feeling you could ever have, at least as far as I'm concerned. It sounds like you share that.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, being a training ground and having this throughput, that's all great. But the best impact we've had is with the people that we've been able to create – train, create living wage jobs who are now managers for other people. Yes. That is ultimately the big win. Yes. And so I think focusing on these hybrid models is almost a divergence of of energy. Just like think about your business, bake into the DNA a commitment to creating good work, and I think that's a good thing. There's some quote in the Talmud that somebody once told me that's like the ultimate mitzvah is like starting a business that creates work and jobs for people that that's like the ultimate social good i have to like find that quote because because at this (laughs) point from where i sit like i that really resonates with me that's my that's my greatest pride yeah me too i have to say and
0: that was surprising to me you you may have set out with that goal but for me it was just like this is so cool yeah you know it's like all these people I wrote a a, a blog post about it where it was just like I have to read you know it was it, well you
1: have a legacy in the city I meet people all the time that like worked for you or interned with you that you know got the opportunity you gave them their early shot. you hire a lot of early early career people and that's that's hard to find yes. good people that are willing to share and so I think like be open with what you do give people a chance
0: yeah, no, it's pay true. Pay as
1: well as you can afford yep. to pay, and exactly. that's my that's my biggest biggest.
0: So, what's advice. next for Hot Bread Kitchen? Like, is, I mean, I think there should be a Hot Bread Kitchen in every city in America.
1: So that's what we're working on. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nothing nothing too bad. (laughs) So we're right now doing site visits to look at replication cities and we're hoping to open in one more city next year. And that will be sort of the pilot of like what it takes to replicate and then expand beyond that. And then just thinking more largely about like how – we sell and make more bread here in New York City because the more breads we sell and the bigger we get here, the more jobs we can create. And right now there is a marketplace for great bakers. And so I feel a lot of pressure to get more sales so we can outplace more bakers and, and grow that way.
0: Can you tell us what city, or you're still working so at? So
1: we it? have a short list of cities that we're looking at. Um, it's no secret. I've been to DC. We're going to Boston. We just sent someone to LA. Um, we're looking at Chicago and Toronto.
0: Yeah. Um, now those would be the cities that would make sense, I think.
1: Yeah, and so that's our short list. I think probably the first city will be something that's pretty close by, just because it. it makes sense.
0: Sure, but, makes it easier. But the
1: right the right funder and the right relationships could. Could be game changing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what lessons do you impart to the women that come to Hot Bread Kitchen besides obviously um institutionalizing their baking methods and what other skills yeah. are there?
1: So um, women who who go through the Hot Bread Kitchen Bakers and Training Program get nine months of paid on-the-job training. They get three shifts a week of on-the-table learning where they learn how to shape, mix, bake, and do some packaging of bread. And in that is included kind of you know, sense of urgency, efficient movement, cleanliness, safe food handling, all of those kinds of things. And then they get three hours a week of classroom education. For most of them, that's ESL, English as a second language. For many of them, that's kitchen math, management, and other skills that they're going to need to be successful in their jobs. Um, And I think the biggest impact in a way is just the kind of the forcing people to participate in a multi- cultural staff and negotiate work politics and relationships outside of the communities that they come from. Right, Because, because
0: they're very insular, yeah, usually.
1: For many women coming into Hot Bread Kitchen, it's their first formal job. And so many have not negotiated working outside of their language groups or having a, a job or having to punch in and punch out. And so those lessons are kind of extremely important.
0: Yeah. So... Your last name is now Rodriguez. So when people in New York or Miami, they associate Rodriguez with some kind of Latino background. Like, do people ever go... What's up with the Rodriguez thing?
1: (laughs) I'm sure they do in their head. Very few people uh, have the cojones (laughs) to ask me, but I love that you do. Um, So Rodriguez is my married name and I go professionally usually by Waldman Rodriguez, but Jessamine Rodriguez is is my name. Um, My husband's family is Dominican. And Jessamine is also an odd name, and Dominicans sometimes have odd names. And so especially because it could be like Yasmina Rodriguez, (laughs) people are definitely sometimes surprised. And so even as Jessamine Rodriguez, I once got a loan from – like a student loan from like a small Jewish lending agency. And when I went in there, the woman saw Jessamine Waldman on the application, and she was like, oh, I was expecting you to be much darker than that. So people have
0: all And you s- said that's only my biales. Yeah,
1: exactly. So people have all sorts of silly, stupid misconceptions, and I kind of appreciate confusing them. You know what I mean? And I speak Spanish pretty well, and so if people do speak to me in Spanish, at least I can respond. And then people say, they don't need it. It's like, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, I'm a Canadian Jew. And they're like, oh, okay. Like, they don't ask anymore. In a way,
0: now that we're talking about it, It's kind of perfect. It's kind of preordained that you would marry a a Rodriguez. That's what they say. (laughs) So, all right, it's time for the special sauce. uh, All you can answer buffet. Uh, You have as much time as you need, within Mm. reason. But um, so, don't worry if you have to think about it. But what's in your desert island fridge? There could be five. How many items? Five. Tajina. Okay.
1: Avocados. Okay. Corn tortillas. Does it have to make up a dish or something? No. Because no, no. I could like get coconuts and kill yeah, rodents. Yeah, and stuff. exactly. Okay, Don't so, worry about that. The so, rodents we got. Okay. So, tahina. What did I say? Corn uh, avocado. tortillas, avocados. Avocados. Um, got two more. Walnuts or pine nuts are like an important staple. And then I'm going to go with feta cheese.
0: That's, I like that. That's a thoughtful desert
1: island. I mean, footage. olive oil. Um, like the staples are yeah, there, yeah. right? Stables Salt, are there. pepper, and olive oil. Yeah, don't oil. worry about. It. Yeah, <laughs> they don't count. <laughs> Lemon. They, yeah, there.
0: they don't count. Um, who's at your last supper? No family allowed. Ugh. Like, just people could be past and present people you want. You've always been interested in meeting, or you could imagine being part of a great dinner table conversation. Oh, uh,
1: okay. So uh, my imaginary.
0: Yes. My yes. Imag- okay. Yes. You can go back in time as far as you like.
1: No family. No family. These are hard questions. Because when we first used to ask this, everyone
0: would always give their family, and then we realized, okay, we need to eliminate the families.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's not interesting. Although my family's interesting. (laughs) So my current favorite person in the world is Joan Nathan. All right. Cookbook writer. Yes. Jewish food aficionado. I'm hoping to get invited to her house. So I'd like to- All right.
0: Well, you you know, she has a house on Martha's Vineyard that's right near our house. So you can come up to the vineyard and we can hang
1: out with the whole Rodriguez clan. Yes. Okay. I'm going to tell her you invite us. All right. So so Joan, Ed Levine, (laughs) because I haven't been invited to his house, but I'd love to come there. And so if I invite (laughs) him to mine, then maybe he'll invite me over to his place in Martha's Vineyard. Um, No. Okay, let's say Cesar Chavez, Yotam Would I'd love to have over First for dinner. First of all, he can help cook. He can cook for us.
0: He's an awesome cook. This He's is the a awesome... London chef restaurateur and uh, uh, obviously a prolific uh, cookbook writer.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think of some good bakers. Nancy Silverton would be good to have over. Nancy Silverton,
0: and she can cook anything. And she can cook
1: anything, but she's a baker and And a woman, and
0: she has perfect food pitch.
1: And she has perfect food pitch. And one
0: more non-food person, and then you're
1: done. Yeah. Okay, we'll have Frida Kahlo. Free to call so that so I can have somebody to to, is, chuck, to talk to. This is going to be an
0: awesome dinner.
1: I think so. And her, I'm not so. I don't think she. I don't have the impression she necessarily ate a lot. But I'd love to see what she'd wear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what are you eating at the lesson?
1: <laughs> Yotam's cooking. I'm going to have to call him. That's good. Um, lots of good bread. Uh huh. Obviously, S- slow fermented. Lots of good grains. We we just live up the road um, on the Upper West Side, but we don't have the best light. So I'm going to say it's a picnic in okay. Central Park. All right. Um, I can tell you that we're having nice rosé, maybe Niçoise sandwiches. All something right. Something really s- simple and fresh on a beautiful, sun warm May day. Lots of and it could be olives. on an island
0: uh, in uh, in the pond in Central Park. Then it'd be your desert island. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) With my fridge. So they'll have to be some tahina and avocados there. Um, What's your guilty pleasure? Do you have a guilty bread pleasure?
1: Yeah, so my guilty bread pleasure that I try not to indulge in because obviously it's hard working in a bakery, as you can imagine. Um, We make conchas, which is a Mexican sweet bread, which are amazing. And they come out of the oven late in the day. And if they're fresh out of the oven, when I'm still at work, I have a very hard time resisting. Um, And that dipped in coffee is, like, definitely, definitely, definitely my guilty pleasure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What about non-bread? Like do you have a non-bread one? Like guilty when you're when you're alone Does it at night. Have to be
1: guilty. I I like the thing that I like hide from everyone is that I eat leftovers cold out of the fridge, like late at late at night. And like and, that could and my be husband, pasta, my could husband, be anything. It could be anything. My husband's totally not a nusher, and I'm like a nusher. Like I'll eat like lick things out of pans, and I'll eat stuff off plates that's left. So I, I yeah, like especially like um, yeah, cold pasta, cold pizza, n- meat, even that's leftover. My mother-in-law comes on on Tuesdays and she's like a really good cook and she makes rice and beans and and you could eat that I totally eat that cold and it's and for me it's not guilty but I like really get embarrassed if my husband sees me doing it because he's so not that kind of person so
0: I know why you feel guilty though because you don't even take it out of the container
1: yeah yeah yeah. I know you don't put it on a plate admit it oh totally not no yeah I know
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your special sauce with us, Jessamine Waldman Rodriguez. You can buy hot bread kitchen breads all over the New York area in stores and farmer's markets. And if you want to contribute to the amazing work that Jessamine does, you can go to hotbreadkitchen.org. You can make a donation or just just keep buying bread the way I do. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that the Bialis will change your life. And you can even get them by mail order so that people all over the country can enjoy Hot Bread Kitchen's bread and read the Hot Bread Kitchen cookbook, which is as much a collection of stories about the amazing women who work or have worked at Hot Bread Kitchen, uh, including Jessamine, as it is a cookbook. So thank you for, for coming on.
1: Ed, thank you for discovering me so many years ago and staying, staying true to <laughs> true. You're, you're awesome. Thanks for having me.
0: So long, Serious Eaters. Until next time.
1: This episode of Special
0: Stalls is brought to you by U.S. Bank. If you're anything like me, you're thinking about food all the time. One day I'm craving Texas barbecue. The next day it's cast iron skillet fried chicken. Wouldn't it be great to earn rewards on everything you crave, whether it's dishes from your favorite restaurant or food you make at home or takeout? I do love takeout, whether it's great pizza from Mama's 2 or roast pork egg foo young sauce on the side, please, from La Dinestia, or just some spicy tuna rolls from Sushi Yasaka. Well, now you can with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. With this credit card, you can earn four times points on dining, takeout, and restaurant delivery, and two times points at grocery stores, grocery delivery, gas stations, EV charging stations, and streaming services. Plus, discover how you can earn 20,000 bonus points, a $200 value, at usbank.com slash Altitude Go when you apply. Live every day your way with the Altitude Go card. Learn more at usbank.com slash Altitude Go. Limited time offer. The creditor and issue of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply.
1: From PR